Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, my prayer is a simple one, that you would give me a heart for your word and us a word for our hearts. Amen. Today we're going to talk about heroes. That's what the Bible passage was all about. The heroes of the faith, Gideon and Daniel and the prophets, and they were cut in half and they were raised people from the dead. Amazing things. And you have to ask yourself, well, who are heroes today? So I did some research. They asked 8,000 eighth graders. These are 13, no, I'm sorry, 2,000 eighth graders. They asked them this question, who is your hero? Who do you look up to? The top 30 were athletes and entertainers. Athletes and entertainers. So the the end of the, the study said this, that they are recognizing people who have made it big, but not people who do big things. So then they asked the grown-ups, who are your heroes? Do you think there are any heroes left? And 70% said there are no heroes. 70%. So into this mix comes this great list of people that we would call heroes, but haven't been alive for over 2,000 years. Now, I don't know if you get choked up at that story I told for the children's sermon. That always gets to me. Derek Redmond's father was a hero. Now Paul, not Paul, the writer of Hebrews paints a picture of a marathon. This is the race that was being run. And a marathon is long, and and I, I was not telling a lie when I said the only thing I like about running is the feeling you get when you stop. You may not know this, but one of my hobbies is cycling. And before the knee replacements, I was the chaplain for the MS 150. Remember, they used to start at the racetrack, which is no longer the racetrack. They'd go all the way down to Ocean City, 75 miles, spend the night. Somebody would do a church service at 5.30 in the morning. We'd eat breakfast and ride back. And the idea was you would get people to sponsor you for your miles. A penny would be $1.50. You know, a dollar would be, you could figure it out. A dime would be 15 a dollar would be 150 We were asked to raise $500 and participate in the race. So, do you get on your bicycle and ride 75 miles? No. You have to prepare. And they gave out this little booklet that said, if you want to do this, and in essence, not embarrass yourself during the race, if you ride this much every day, with one day off a week, by the time you get to the MS-150, you'll be able to ride the 75 miles. And the first week total, we ride like 30, and then they added 10%. And the last week before the race, you rode 65 miles. So to get ready, I rode from my house in Voorhees to my grandmother's house in Sea Isle City to make sure I could do it. So the week before the race, I did everything but the last 10 miles. Okay, I'm ready to go. And they make it very clear that they have food and lodging for everybody who's doing the ride, Rain or shine. Now, you might remember that in September of 1989, we had a visitor to this area, and his name was Hugo. We rode through Hurricane Hugo. Wind and rain and cold. And I couldn't bail because I'm the chaplain for this event. And they had said to me for months, chaplain, pray for good weather. 
I, I prayed for good weather. We had good weather. That was quite a hurricane came through. <laughs> so we're about 15 miles in, and there's this woman crying on the side of the road. And I get off, and I say, are you okay? And she's like, I'm wet, and it's cold, and it's windy, and I have a flat tire, and I'm done. I said, well, you know, they have cars that patrol. They'll come and help. Let's get started. Now, you do know that I am a mechanical idiot. I have zero mechanical ability. But at this moment, I realized she needed somebody who knew what they were doing, and I was going to pretend. <laughs> and I did. And I, I got her tire off, and I got the, uh, off of her bike, and I got the rubber part off. Just at that moment, the head of all the mechanics comes up, and his eyes are big as saucers, because he knows I have no right to touch anybody's bicycle <laughs> but my own. He comes up, he says, Doc, you okay? And I say, well, this young lady had a flat tire and I was helping and he says, well, thank you very much. And he finished fixing the tire and I rode with her for most of the way back to get her to the end of the race. That's the feeling the writer of Hebrews wants you to have, that this, this is a, a long race. They say life is a marathon, not a sprint. That's the image that the writer of Hebrews wants you to have. And when you get to that finish line, of the MS-150, they have volunteers to cheer for you at the end. They make it very clear, this is not a race. The idea is to get to the end. And I've never seen this before I, I did the, they get empty milk jugs and they fill them with pennies and they shake them. And you can hear this several blocks away as you're riding, whoosh, you hear this wonderful sound. And, and as you turn the corner and they have the big finish line, there are hundreds of people cheering and clapping and shaking these milk jugs. And I got to tell you, this old man stood up on his pedals and I pedaled like it was the finish of the Tour de France. I raced over that finish line. I was elated. I was exhausted. And I was energized. I was hooked. I was the chaplain for that event for 19 years, and the only thing that stopped me was double knee replacements. All right? I, I had knees with no cartilage, and I was still pedaling because there's nothing like crossing that finish line. Now, in, in my uh, first grade class, we play a game called Performer or Audience. And I have these big cards. They look like playing cards on the back. And on the front, they say, performer or audience. And I'll go up and I, I hand it to a kid and the kid pulls out the card. And if it's a performer, they can pick one friend and they have to stand up and sing a song. And it's my job to teach them a song. I don't make them do it, you know, cold. Or if they're an audience, they get to pick somebody to sing a song. We have a blast. But you know what? Audience members don't get the same feeling that the performers do. Faith is something you do, not something you possess. If you're taking notes, I want you to write that one down. Faith is something you do, not something you profess, possess. People say, oh, you have to have enough faith, and it sounds like we have a barrel of it, and you can carry it around, and if my barrel is bigger than yours, then God will answer my prayers or bless me more, and that's, that's not what it is. Faith is not something you possess, it's something you do. Why, why was I able to ride the bicycle 75 miles? Because I, I did the work. I built up so that I knew that my legs and my lungs and my bicycle would last 
all the way down to Ocean City. Now, a race requires preparation. And we as Christians need to be prepared. We need to spend time. Uh, the first week, 30 miles wasn't too bad. It was like 20, 30 minutes a day. By the last week, 65 miles. Now, I'm not a fast cyclist. I average between 14 and 15 miles an hour, and I do stop. I, my route to grandmom's, I had three Wawa stops. And in those days, you didn't have cell phones. So I would stop at the Wawa right on Route 73, just, just past where you get on the turnpike, and I'd buy Gatorade, fill up my bottle, and I'd call home. I'd say, I made it to the first Wawa. Okay. And that's when my family would get in the minivan and drive to Grandma's. Then I'd hit the next Wawa, and then the last one, and we would meet at Grandma's. But faith takes time. You have to do it, and you have to do it often. You have to practice your thing. It takes energy and resources. Uh, I still go to the gym regularly, and, and Vicki will tell you that I bike three times a week, but I have a smart bicycle now because it clips into a computer, and my tablet has trips all around the world. Uh, one of my favorites is from Mexico City out to the soccer stadium, and the smart bicycle changes the resistance as you ride. So if there's a hill between Mexico City and you're riding up the hill, and it has a little chart, and you can tell it's coming, because you've got green means level, blue means downhill, yellow means a little incline, and red means you're going to sweat. But you have to have the time and the energy and the resources. I had to make sure my bicycle was working and your equipment. Whatever hobby it is or whatever faith it is, you need equipment. Now, some of you have your equipment with you. You bring your Bible. Or uh, some of you have just been given a book on prayer. You're allowed to read things other than the Bible to build your faith. But you have to have the right equipment. You have to go like... To lift weights, I have to go to the gym. To lift faith weights, if there was such a thing, you have to come to church. You have to work out with us. Let your faith grow. And commitment. Uh, my good friend Bob came over last night with his wife Christy, and we canoed, and we kayaked. We had a nice dinner, and we sat around until a little later than everybody should. And Vicky said, when are you getting up tomorrow? And I looked at Vicky and I said, 5.51. And Vicky gave me that look. And I love this look. It says, I love you, but you are crazy. Is that right? Like 5.51? Well, I know that if I get up at 5.51, I can be home in time to watch Sports Center Top 10, get in the shower, and get here on time. Believe me, if I could sleep until 5.52, I would. But that's exactly the time I need. And... People say, really? Well, yes. But do you get up and build your faith like that? It says that Jesus got up early in the morning to go into the hills and pray. All of these things the writer of Hebrews is saying you, you have to do. You don't just to get to celebrate the end of the race. You have to do all of the things that get you up and to that race. Now, what is a hero? According to Hebrews, a hero is somebody who crosses the finish line. Uh, Ralph, Waldo Ember, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, heroes are no braver than regular, he said, ordinary people. They're just braver for five minutes longer. So I'd like to finish with a story, a true story. There was a man named Ray Blankenship who lived 
in Andover, Ohio. He was eating breakfast, looking out his window, and in his backyard, one of those big drainage dishes, ditches went by, and the, the water was racing by, and he saw a little girl fall into the ditch, and she was being carried away by the water. Ray immediately left his breakfast, ran out, and jumped into the drainage dish with the rushing water. Under the water he went, and he and the girl tumbled and rolled, and he finally got a hold of her because he knew that at the end of his property, the drainage ditch went underground, and he knew that she wouldn't survive. He finally scooped her up in his arm, and he grabbed onto a little piece of rebar just before the bridge. And he said, I'm going to hold on until help comes. By the time help arrived, he had lifted her up and he was trying to get out and they pulled him out. The word of Ray's heroism spread and he was given, I wrote it down, he was given the Coast Guard Silver Life-Saving Medal. Now you might say that that would make Ray Blankenship a hero. But as Paul Harvey would say, you don't know the rest of the story. Ray Blankenship didn't know how to swim. He jumped into that rushing water without any thought of his own safety to save that girl. He didn't know how to swim. We don't know how to faith. We have to learn how to faith. In fact, in uh, probably the most famous verse in the Bible, John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him that word is actually faith, and it's an active participle. It should be translated faithing. A person who practiced their faith every day, believes in Jesus every day, spends the time, spends the energy, makes the commitment, sees the finish line, and is braver for five more minutes than an ordinary person to cross that line. Even if they don't know how to swim, that's a hero. So, what does this mean for us? If you know me, I have to leave you a little uh, hook at the end. So I have four things for you. Write the word hero in your notes. And you know, Jesus is the example for us for the hero. So the H in hero for me stands for helper. Think about Jesus' ministry. He went through life with his head on a swivel looking for people who were in need of help. Healing, wisdom, spiritual growth. Jesus went and found the people that needed help and helped them. The first part of being a hero is to be a helper. The second thing Jesus did was he gave, spread the good news, which luckily begins with the letter E. He evangelized. The good news is not a secret that only people who are in this building are allowed to have. The secret has to be let out. And Jesus went out and he shared what he called the good news of the kingdom. The R is for reconciler. A hero has to help heal the broken. Broken relationships. That's what Jesus did. Think about the woman at the well. He saw somebody in need that needed his help. He shared the good news with her. And then he reconciled her to herself, to God, and to her town. And she went to the town and she said, the man knows everything about me. Come out and see him. And the whole town believed in Jesus. 
And the last O is probably the one that's most important for this message, is that Jesus was an overcomer. There are obstacles. There's a hill in Voorhees that starts on 561 561, and it goes all the way up to Hope (laughs) Methodist Church, which a friend of mine pastors. And I, I call it Heartbreak Hill. And every year that I got ready for the MS-150, when I thought I was ready, I would go and climb Heartbreak Hill. It's about a mile incline, and there's no break. It just goes up and up and up. And you're in your lowest gear, and you're pedaling as hard as you can, and you say to yourself, I'm not getting off and pushing. I'm going to make it over the top. And you know what happens when you get to the top? You know what's on the other side of a big hill? Yes! You get to go down. And it's a mile down. Like, woo! Think about that. That's what heaven feels like. You're exhausted. You're elated. You're energized. And God says, come and coast eternity with me with that wonderful feeling that you have finished the race. If you've never entered the race, if you've never said, I want to be a partner in Christ for the rest of my life. I want to recognize his great gift to me and give my heart to him. During the last hymn, we're going to open the first two pews and you're invited to come forward during the last hymn and give your heart to Jesus. Join us in the race. If you felt today a call in your heart that you need to be better at evangelizing, that you need to go out and share the race Encourage other people to join with us and tell them about Jesus and what he's done for you. Again, during the last hymn, the first two pews are open. And finally, our deacons, our pastors would love to pray with you if you have a need. If there's something weighing on your heart, a burden, a sin, another person, a relationship, something that a hero might need to help you with. We would love to pray with you. Amen.